women's running. running. Running, running stories. stories. Hi, I'm Christine Yu. I'm a journalist um, that covers sports and science and health. I have a new book out, my first book called Up to Speed, The Groundbreaking Science of Women Athletes. I live in Brooklyn, New York with my husband and two sons. I'm a runner, a former yoga <laughs> instructor, and someone who just loves moving my body and being outside. Yes, this episode features the story of Christine Yu. But before we get to that, welcome to Women's Running Stories. I am Cherie Louise Turner. I am the host and producer of this podcast, and we are a proud member of the Evergreen Network of Podcasts. We are back. If you have been following Women's Running Stories on social media, you will know that I am just back from running the roughly 55-mile Comrades Marathon in South Africa. It is the oldest and largest ultra-distance foot race in the world. If you are interested in Comrades, we have many episodes that feature women's experiences at this epic and historic event. And I'm going to be adding yet again to those stories. I will have an episode coming up soon about my most recent experience. Suffice to say, I surprised myself and it was incredible. So stay tuned for that. Now on to Christine's story. Like she mentioned, she is the author of the new book, Up to Speed, The Groundbreaking Science of Women Athletes. And for this episode, like we do here, Christine is going to share her athlete and running story and how it intersected with her writing and researching this book. She tells the whole story in her own voice. So let's get to it. Here is Christine Yu. I think my earliest memories of being active kind of fall into two buckets. One was like pretty informal, and those were things like just being in the water and swimming. We had a pool in my backyard growing up, luckily. (laughs) So my brother and sister and I and and my parents, you know, just spent a lot of time in the water. And I just remember that as like an integral piece of growing up. It was just always there, part of it. Um, And similarly, oddly enough, with skiing too. So both of my parents didn't ski, and I have no idea... (laughs) what, um, you know, why they decided to teach their three children, you know, to ski, but because they emigrated to the United States from Hong Kong, came here for college. Like I said, they weren't like super sporty, super active people. So it was kind of interesting to me that they decided to introduce us to the sport, but it was something that was like super fun. Um, So there's like that kind of like that bucket of stuff where I was doing things with my family and not I don't think really thinking of it as sport, really. And then the other piece of it is really when I changed schools um, in fourth grade. And the new school that I went to was a private school in Connecticut. And everyone just had to play sports after school. That was just what you did. So it was like in fourth grade, uh, we all played field hockey, you know, as girls. And then played lacrosse in the spring. And I, you know, I'd never played these sports before, but I didn't really think about it. I was like, oh, okay, this is this is what you do. But I was glad I had almost that experience of it as a 
you know, it was like, this is just something everyone does type thing. Because A, again, with my parents, I'm not sure that I would have necessarily found my way to organize sports in that way. But I really, I, I loved it. Like I loved being on a team with my, you know, it was just spending more time with my friends, right? And goofing around and playing. But that kind of just instilled in me this, you know, kind of lifelong love, maybe, <laughs> or just like, to, you know, interest in sports and physical activity. In eighth grade, you know, my mom and I actually moved to California. And when I was there, I went to an all girls school uh, for eighth and ninth grade. And it was definitely different, I think, just being in an all girls uh, environment, like different in, in a good way, right? Just being surrounded by these amazing girls and women and feeling very supported. But it was also around this age too, right? Where we're eighth and ninth grade, you know, going through puberty, bodies are changing, um, where it was definitely, I think, more started to create more top of mind, right? Thinking about, you know, what our bodies look like and body size, because, you know, it's, you want to, you're trying to fit in, you're trying to like, be cute for like the dance with the all boys school on the weekend and stuff like that. So in that respect, you know, that definitely played a role in just thinking about like what my body looked like. Um, how do I make it smaller? How do I make it look more like, you know, the, you know, I, I mean, it was primarily a lot of uh, white students, right? Like, how do I make it look more like the white girls in my class or like the cute white girls, right? Um, so there was definitely that. And I feel like around that time it, it again it what i don't remember a specific incident or a specific person even but i feel like around that time was also when i started getting this notion that like if you don't have your period it means you're really fit right if you know it's the super active the the olympians and you know the pro athletes they don't have their periods cuz they're so fit and that's what, kind of what not that you want to strive for but like that was like almost like a badge of honor if you will right and it's all these messages that we internalize without even realizing it, right? Um, and those forces became amplified in high school for sure. I actually, I went to uh, boarding school in Massachusetts for 10th, 11th, and 12th. So yeah, so when I went into this boarding school environment, I mean, that's also a different environment too, right? I'm living on my own. I'm going to the, you know, to the cafeteria, the dining hall for my three meals. No one's watching what I'm eating, really. Um, I, I look back at it now and I wonder how I even made it through the day <laughs> given like what I was trying to feed myself during that time too. You know, because it was just it wasn't enough. Like I, I can't imagine living on what I was what I was trying to live on at that time, you know? And you know, and I I look healthy. I, you know, I was never diagnosed with an, with an eating disorder or anything like that, but there was definitely a lot of disordered eating situation going on. I was a hundred percent under fueling my body, right? Especially in this period of time of adolescence when it, it, you're growing so much. It's, you know, the equivalent of when you're an infant, the amount of growth that your body is going through and the amount of development. And yet I wasn't, feeding myself enough to do that um, because I wanted to be thin. I it was never like, you know, let me try to lose my menstrual cycle type thing. It was definitely more about the aesthetic look 
um, and trying to be thin, not having a stomach, you know, all of those things that I was primarily worried about. And I think that that also plays a lot into just being Asian American too. Because I think back on, you know, who were the Asian American athletes that I saw growing up? It was ice skaters, <laughs> frankly, you know, and some, maybe some gymnasts, <laughs> like that was it. And and then these, these women, you know, were tremendous athletes, but they're also so small and tiny and, you know, petite, right? Um, and that's a whole, that's a whole other layer kind of in, at least in Chinese culture too. Like I wasn't small and petite and, you know, I, I was bigger, sure, you know, and I liked working out. My mom would always give me a hard time about like lifting weights. Like, why are you doing that? I'm like, cause I like it. <laughs> like, you know, it's like, cause I want to be strong. Um, yeah. So there was a lot of just like conflicting messages or just non-congruent messages. And it was hard to make sense of that. I think a lot growing up. So I, I played pretty much every sport under the sun, I feel like. So, you know, played my played like field hockey and lacrosse when I still lived in Connecticut. But then so after seventh grade, th- those kind of went away. When we moved to California, they didn't have those sports. So I switched to soccer. I apparently did like one season of like outdoor track too, which like now like is like coming back to me now. I'm like, oh yeah, I did do that. And then when I went to boarding school, um, I actually started swimming. So I did a lot of stuff, but you know, this identity of being an athlete, that is something that I never really fully embraced until adulthood, probably my thirties, frankly, because I didn't think like I, I look, I didn't think I looked like what all the sporty, you know, soccer, lacrosse, field hockey, whatever swimmers look like, right? I wasn't um I wasn't white, I wasn't blonde, I wasn't, you know, lean like that. So I had this in my mind that that's what you had to look like, especially, you know, yeah, going to preppy private schools, <laughs> like this is what I thought I had to look like. So I never felt like I fit in in that way. And I wonder sometimes if, you know, that feeling like I didn't fit in or I didn't, would never fit in, held me back. So, I mean, as I mentioned, I apparently did this one season <laughs> of outdoor track, um, but I did, uh, but I did like long jump and triple jump. Again, I have no idea how I ended up here because I was not a runner, but it was, I think, partially because my friends from the soccer team all ran track, you know, the next season. So that's, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll just, do that. I'll find something to do. Um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that that's my kind of first memories of really running. Um, that would probably be the, in the spring of my senior year of high school, you know, we had to take some sort of PE or do sports each term of, of the year. And so you could do, I didn't have a spring sport, you know, and and, I mean, frankly, it was like senior spring. (laughs) So you could do community service in lieu of sports. But if you did that, you had to do what they called like basics, which was like 30 minutes of, you know, you could walk around the track or something like that. But instead of doing that, you know, me and a couple of friends 
decided to start running. Again, I have no idea why or <laughs> why we decided to do this, but you know, we would go on little like half hour runs like around campus, off campus. And that was the first time that I really ran to run. And it was like, I was like, oh, this isn't so bad. And then I kept running in college and it was very much at that time, at least, you know, this is a form of exercise where I can burn a lot of calories type thing. Right. But I think as, you know, kind of, I started grappling with some of that and like, as you know, towards the end of college, I started really appreciating it for what it really was. And just like, oh, I can run more mileage now. Look, my body can adapt to this. And that has always been like kind of the cool part of running for me was just the way that our bodies can adapt and train up and train to run more mileage, train to run faster, that type of thing um, has always fascinated me. So, you know, again, it was mostly just recreational running. And then then I started to do like a couple of races. I lived, I went to college and then lived in New York City um, after graduation and started to do some, you know, 5Ks with New York Roadrunners and that type of thing. And um, eventually my boyfriend at the time, my husband now, I, we got the idea. I was like, oh, let's run a marathon. <laughs> like, let's try to do this. And so we, you know, it was like, we ended up running the, I think the first marathon was like the 2001 Chicago marathon. That was just, that was when I was like, this is so cool. Like, oh, like I can't believe we're running this many miles, you know, when before that, probably the longest I'd run is maybe six or seven miles or something like that. So we ran Chicago, the next year we ran Marine Corps, and then we ran New York City in 2003, after, you know, probably a month or so after we actually got married. But that was my last <laughs> marathon. At that point, um, I've done an Olympic distance triathlon, and I've run a, a bunch of half marathons, but I'm not, I, I don't, love racing a ton. I really just enjoy running for running sake. I mean, I love, I actually really like the process of training um, and having a plan. And like I said, seeing that progress and that improvement, but it's not like a race per se that's, that motivates me. And especially as I've gotten older, when just time has been a lot harder, it, my running really has been more of my own practice, if you will. It's funny to think about just the evolution, right? Like at first it was it was a lot about, you know, weight loss and exercise and like trying to like tame my body in some way. And then it became about like trying to understand how I could push my body and like kind of what limits, right? In terms of mileage and training for these marathons and doing these other things. And now, frankly, it really is, um, it's more of a grounding practice in a way that it is sure it's the time that I have to myself, but it really is the time that I feel most connected and grounded in my body because I have a tendency to, you know, have a lot of like anxious thoughts and, you know, to worry about a lot of things and to kind of get ahead of myself in that way. So when I'm out on a run, I'm really not thinking about anything else. Um, and I can get in touch with, me and how I'm actually feeling um, that day um, in a way that I haven't really been able to replicate in anything else. I think that probably in my early 30s, mid 30s was when I really found 
the online running community, mainly through blogging. So I had started writing a blog at that point. So through blogs and then like Twitter and then eventually Instagram or whatever, really connecting with the running community in a way that I never really had before. And I think, you know, at least I think it still does this now, but like, I think, you know, there was a lot more messaging about, you know, how, yeah, like you run, you're a runner, right? You don't need to run a specific pace or a specific race or any of that. Like you run, you're a runner. And I think that there was a piece of that that really resonated with me that, oh, I am realizing like, oh, I, I can claim this identity because it is part of me and it is part of who I am. And then I think in realizing that, in realizing like this is an important part of me, that I did have to do a better job taking care of my body. And I think that, you know, especially with the fueling and nutrition piece of it, um, I think as I had gotten, as I've gotten older, like I've definitely have done a lot of work around, you know, disordered eating and like diet culture stuff and all of that. And I am, I, I think also very lucky and privileged in, a, in that, like I've always been in, you know, a relatively thin-ish body and my weight hasn't changed a ton over the years, right? Like I, it hasn't fluctuated a lot, but it has in the sense that like, I definitely, <laughs> you know, give myself a lot more leeway. I mean, in terms of like what I'm eating, when I'm eating, because yeah, for a long time, it was very rigid, you know, pretty rigid, I would say, like, in terms of like, what I should eat, when I should eat, how many calories, like, you know, and being uh, rigid in terms of like food groups and all of that. But I think now just recognizing, hey, I'm just hungry. I like, I need, like, literally, if I'm hungry, I need to just eat something. Um, and it's okay if it's like, you know, a you know, a cookie or, you know, something or whatever, like my body literally just needs energy and calories. But yeah, but just in thinking about like, I do, there are certain things that I need, that my body really needs, especially as I get older, in order for to allow me to continue doing th the things that I want. I mean, I will, you know, like I said, like it, it has been a lot of work, but I'm not going to lie and say that I don't still stare at myself in the mirror, right? Or like, you know, lift up my shirt and look at it's like, what's, you know, what's my belly doing or whatever. It's a hard thing to break because it is so ingrained. But at least I think now, like when I do catch myself doing that, like I actually catch myself doing it, right? Like it's not just unconscious and, you know, I don't even notice that I'm doing it anymore. But yeah, but it's, yeah, I, it's, it's interesting, like, cause there will be a lot of times where, you know, it isn't even a question. I don't even think about what I look like or like how my clothes fit, or, you know, or anything like that. But then there will be for sure moments where I'm like, oh, everything is terrible. <laughs> like everything looks terrible. Nothing fits. And it's frustrating. And I hate, you know, like a lot of just body hate. Right. But I think that really diving into a lot more of this research around, you know, the repercussions of underfueling and how that has so many, you know, uh, that basically sets off this huge cascade of physiological things and in the body that it really kind of hit home for me. I'm like, oh, wait, like this is really important. It's not just about nourishing my body so that I can do my sport. It's about nourishing my body so I can live and be healthy. I think that was a big 
realization. Also, you know, we say that representation matters and having more representation in the sport at all levels makes a big difference when you see more people like yourselves running or, you know, in the, involved in the sport, it makes it feel that, oh, you can see that there's a place for you potentially here. And that's, you know, welcoming in the sense that it's like, oh, I don't necessarily, you know, have to completely alter or try to, you know, conform myself into, to look like, or be like a, a certain thing. I mean, just for example, I recently got a message from a running group in New Jersey and I was like, oh, you know, they're like, oh, you know, heard about your book or whatever. But I click through and to find out more information about them. And it's primarily, you know, Chinese runners. Like they're, you know, this big group of Chinese and East Asian runners. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I've never <laughs> seen that before. Right. Like, sure, like you see some, you know, Asian runners around, but like I'd never seen like a group of us <laughs> together running. And it made me like happy in a way that I definitely was surprised by. But yeah, it's important that we kind of continue to make sure that the sport is welcoming and is open to a diverse range of people. Because when you don't see yourself represented, it really does make you question like, is there a place for me? Is this the sport for me? Am I fit for this? Right? Not necessarily physically fit, but just like fit for it. Right? And it was just nice to see them taking up space, right? Because for so long, at least for me, my personal experience has always been like, not to take up that space, you know, on the teams, like you're, I'm the, I'm the one, you know, with the assist or I'm, you know, whatever, I'm not the star of a team. And I don't, you know, don't make a fuss or whatever, but you're just in the background or whatever it is, but don't take up space. Don't try to be like the show off or whatever. Um, so seeing people just like physically taking up space, right, is powerful. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-backed training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you. I will say, you know, there's definitely the sense of like, who am I to be the one to be writing about this? When I started, I mean, not only when I started, probably throughout the whole process, and even so now, I have felt a lot of imposter syndrome in a way, because like I said, I'm not 
you know, a super talented athlete. I'm not a pro. I'm not an elite. I haven't actually, like, I haven't experienced a lot of the stuff that I might be writing about in the book. So, um, but really kind of the motivation behind it and the reason why I wanted to write it was, was really because it was shocking to me how little I knew about my own body and what that meant with respect to exercise and physical activity and sports performance. And I, it was shocking to me, especially because I'm like, I was pre-med in college. I've taken a lot of science classes. I have a family full of doctors. Like I write and report on health and sports all the time. But like, why is this the first time I'm learning about a lot of this stuff? Um, so part of it for me was just, I was shocked by the lack of information and figuring if, you know, I felt like I was pretty tapped into sources and stuff. And if I didn't know, then a whole lot swath of people probably didn't know, or a lot of this information was locked up in academic journals, which, you know, the normal person is probably not going to spend their time reading these scientific journals, right, to try to understand what's going on. And so, I mean, that was a big motivation of it. But, you know, personally, for me, too, was, I think, I realize now, some of the underlying questions really were around trying to understand what was going on with my own body, because I tend to be injury prone, which also, you know, ties into this narrative of, am I really an athlete? Should I really be active? Is my body suited for that? Right. So I have like, I've been injured a lot. And so part of it is trying to understand like, why, what, you know, is it really just my body? Is it something else that's going on there? And I very much blamed my body that my, like I said, my body wasn't suited for sports. My body wasn't suited for, for distance running. Like I didn't have the, and you know, it feeds again into this whole idea of this idealized body of what a runner should be. I'm like, I don't have that body. Um, so maybe that's why I'm always injured. And I would get really mad and frustrated every time I got injured because I felt like I'm doing everything that I should be doing. I'm I'm not running crazy mileage. I'm not, you know, making these huge jumps in mileage or intensity during the week, you know. I'm like I'm being slowly gradual. I'm doing this progressively. I'm strength training, I'm doing yoga, I'm like doing all the stuff that I should be doing. I'm eating, I'm recovering. Um and yet why am I still injured? And it was really frustrating and frustrating also in the sense that like I've experienced some pretty traumatic injuries too in like bizarre instances, right? Like I, you know, retore my ACL running 400 repeats on a track. Like who does that? <laughs> like that doesn't make any sense. I dislocated my shoulder swimming, also something that really doesn't make any sense. And I still can't figure out exactly how I managed to dislocate my shoulder myself just swimming. But like, that just made me feel like, like, what's wrong? <laughs> like, why can't I do these things? Or why does my body not agree with this stuff? So it, it would make me really frustrated and mad that my body was keeping me from doing these things that I really loved. And I think through the process of researching and reporting the book and talking to other people, I just, I realized that, sure, you know, there are for sure probably factors about my body, you know, whether it's anatomical or physiological or whatever, that might make me more prone to injury. But there are also 
other larger factors, you know, in the environment or the way I grew up or whatever it is, right? That may also influence whether or not I get injured. So it made it so that I could have a little bit more grace and I didn't blame myself as much about what was going on. And that's made me, A, be a little bit more reasonable and not beat myself up so much, but also just be able to take a more measured approach like, okay, this is the situation. What can I do now, like given what I know? You know, for example, (laughs) I tore another ACL in February skiing. But like I said, usually the last time I did that when I was running on the track, I was so mad and so pissed off for so long. But this time when this happened, you know, it again, it was it wasn't a big wipeout or anything like that. I just landed really hard on my skis and just the way that it just so happened, right, was the whatever forces <laughs> were going on. It just so happened that it was enough to pop my ACL. And I like immediately like sat down in the snow. My brother was skiing behind me. He's like, what are you doing? <laughs> but like in that moment, I was like calm. Like I wasn't mad. You know, I was mad in the sense of like, oh, this is going to be an inconvenience and, you know, whatever. But I wasn't mad at myself for getting injured. Like I didn't do anything wrong. So that actually kind of crystallized for me. It's like, oh, wait, maybe I have grown up a little bit um, or like learned a little bit of a lesson through this. And then, you know, I'm in my mid 40s now and like (laughs) exercise and fitness and everything feels very different than it did in my 20s and 30s. And with, you know, during this kind of perimenopause phase, which I assume I'm in and we don't talk about, I just... really, I just wanted to know more about what in the world was going on with myself. Yeah, I always kind of associated menopause with like the golden girls, right? Like these old ladies, white haired ladies, retired, just hanging out or whatever, just, you know, very clearly, you know, in kind of, uh, I don't want to say sunset years, but kind of right, like in this later stage of life. And so one, it was a little shocking to me to realize like, oh, wait, like the average age of menopause is 51 and that, you know, perimenopause can start as early as like 10 years before that. I'm like, oh, (laughs) that's like me now. And that was shocking to me to realize like, oh, wait, I, I really am approaching this, right? Like in realizing that I, I'm not at this like end of my life, like close to death type of thing, right? Like I still have like, you know, hopefully a good many years ahead of me, right? So that really changed my perspective in thinking about this because I think, you know, for so long, menopause is just associated with like the end of a woman's prime, right? Like she's she's past her prime, but it's like, you're just really talking about someone's reproductive cycle. You're not talking about like, them and their vibrancy and their professional life and all these other things, right? You're really just equating her prime with whether or not she's menstruating. So that shift in perspective was at first scary, just in realizing how close I am to it, but also just really helpful because it made me realize that this isn't something to be scared of. And I think part of the fear comes from the fact that no one ever talks about it you know, we don't talk openly about it because it almost feels like it's something to be ashamed about. But it's this natural part 
of our body's life cycle. If you have a uterus and ovaries, this is just what your body does. And it's just another chapter in your life. It does not mean that you are, you're done. When I was writing this book, it could have very easily been all negative, right? And like poo-pooing on everything about how nobody nobody likes us, everybody forgets about us, nobody cares about women and all this stuff. But what makes me hopeful is there are so many people who really care about this issue and who really want to increase the amount of research and our understanding of women's bodies in general and who are doing such phenomenal work to really push this agenda forward. So there, you know, there's so many researchers out there and doctors who recognize this and know that this is a big issue, right? And know that so many women out there feel unheard and unseen and like dismissed. Um, and they want to do something about that. And they are doing something about that. I think the other piece of it too is looking at the younger generations and, you know, just their advocacy efforts and their willingness to step up and speak up and say, you know what, we deserve a better system of sport. Like we deserve better um, as human beings first and foremost, but you know, as women athletes that, you know, this is unacceptable and this system, whatever you want to call it (laughs) that we have is not working, you know, and there's so much harm that's potentially done you know, mental health wise, physical wise, or whatever that we, that could be fixed, right? Or at least like, doesn't have to be the way it is right now. But just so seeing kind of the, the younger generation step up is really lovely, frankly, because I can't imagine having done that when I was their age. And I think also just people in general who are, are just really interested in this topic and starting and like, I just, love seeing the recognition of like, oh, oh, that makes sense. Why, you know, why we need more research. And again, it's not just more research. Yes, more research on women, but it's not just for women's sake. It's really about learning more about humans as a whole, because there's so much more overlap, you know, across genders, across sex, you know, across everything, than I think, you know, we really recognize or that it it's a little bit more nuanced than maybe is allowed on like Twitter or whatever. But like, there's, there's a lot of overlap and there's a lot of commonality. And so when we just study more people and try to understand more people, we're just increasing the data that we have for all humans. And that brings us to the end of Christine Yu's story. I want to thank Christine so much for coming on the podcast and also for writing a really important book. I was thrilled to read this book and add it to my library, and I suggest that you read it as well if you haven't already. Of course, in the show notes, I will link to all of the ways that you can keep up with Christine. She has a website, christineyu.com. And she is on Instagram and Twitter at CYU888. 
Also in the show notes, you will find all the ways to keep up with the podcast. We have a website as well. It is womensrunningstories.com. You can find all of our episodes there. And I will also provide a link to how you can get straight to all the Comrades episodes on our website or just scroll through our episodes in whatever app you use to listen to this podcast. I make it pretty obvious which episodes are about Comrades in the title. And of course, thank you for being here. I always appreciate you listening. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast. We have lots of great episodes coming up. And until then, I am Cherie Louise Turner, the host and producer of Women's Running Stories, and I wish you healthy, joyful strides forward. Women's Running Running. Running stories. Hear Her Sports is a podcast for everyone who loves stories by and about women striving to improve and make a difference in their lives. I am your host, Elizabeth Emery, a former professional cyclist. In every episode, I introduce a female athlete or woman in the business of sport through a thoughtful conversation about who they are and the terrific work they're doing. My guests and I explore the glorious and frustrating issues in sports, history, equity, training, nutrition, and so much more. Join us for inspiration, for community, and for love of being a strong athletic woman.